0: everybody, and welcome to episode 92 of the Grow Your Own Food podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Smith, and today I'm going to be talking about something that is really sad and really frustrating for, for all gardeners, not just new gardeners, but for experienced gardeners like myself, and that is frost damage. It can happen to all of us uh, who live in a, you know, temperate zone where we have shifting seasons. And you never know if that last frost is really going to be the last frost. So, you know, the USDA Hardiness Zone has their recommendations on when your last average frost date is, but that's really just, that's an average, right? I mean, that's the, the key word there. There can always be something that pops up out of the blue and you, one, need to be prepared with ways to protect your plants and we're going to be going over the options that you have there but two you need to be able to sort of assess any frost damage that is inflicted on your plants so you can quickly understand whether or not you should try to baby those plants along or you should just kind of give up on them and go purchase new seedlings at the garden center which has happened to me it continues to happen to me no matter what I do you know sometimes even if I am prepared and I take steps and I'll talk about this in more detail in the episode frost damage still happens so nothing to be ashamed of but it is definitely worth being prepared for so that's what we're going to be talking about in today's episode but first a word from our sponsor So I am recording this episode in mid-April, which for me, in my USDA hardiness zone, zone 6A, is prime time for unexpected spring frosts and the resulting frost damage. Aside from pest damage, there is probably nothing more disheartening to the average gardener than frost damage. But for new gardeners, I feel like it can feel even worse. You know, you have put so much time and effort into learning whether you're starting your seedlings from seed and caring for them from the moment they sprouted to buying your seedlings at the garden center and spending money on them. So when frost damage happens, it can be really, really disappointing, really frustrating, really sad. So I put together this this episode, this guide kind of on, on protecting and assessing your seedlings for frost damage in hopes that it kind of helps prepare you for the odd spring cold snap that comes your way. So obviously this isn't going to be super valuable for, for people who live in like Florida or Southern California or, or really anywhere in California or Texas. I know that Frosts do happen for you guys, but they are pretty rare, especially this time of year. So this is more for the folks who, who live in zones six and northward of that. So six, five, and, and especially four. So first, let's talk about the kinds of plants that we are worried about in mid-April. So in mid-April, you have planted out your brassicas. So your broccoli, your cabbage, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, the things that like to grow in cooler weather my brassicas typically get set out around mid to late march and also around the same time i plant out my onion starts and i have planted my seed potatoes outside so i have a fair number of things to worry about going on out there and if you don't grow your own seedlings from seed You know, maybe you took some early trips to the local garden center and you planted those things out. And and even though you didn't grow them from seed, you, you have that same amount of things, you know, to worry about this time of year. So once you plant anything outside, get in the habit of checking the weather every single day, not just the daytime lows. This time of year, it's the nighttime lows that will get you. I know that this really seems like a no brainer. But life happens, right? And we we forget. So if you find yourself forgetting to check the weather, to to really check on especially those nighttime lows, set a daily reminder for yourself on your phone, on your desktop computer, write a note for yourself. Just be sure to, to check the nighttime lows. Keep an eye out for anything approaching 32 degrees Fahrenheit or below. So that is freezing that is when you will have a light frost, anything at or below 32 degrees Fahrenheit, there's a good chance you're going to need to take action. So just after you transplant plant anything in March or April, just get used to being hyper vigilant about the weather forecast. Number two, when I talk about being ready to take action, be ready with protective coverings. So the only thing worse than an impending frost is knowing that there's one coming and not having what you need on hand to protect your seedlings or not having enough of something on hand to protect your seedlings. Seedlings. So if you're growing things like brassicas or you decided to tempt fate and put your tomato or pepper seedlings out a little early, I know people who try to do this. They try to put their tomato or pepper seedlings out in uh, mid-April in my zone, and it does not always go well for them. You'll want to have a few options on hand for protecting them. And and you do have several options when it comes to protective coverings for, for protecting seedlings from frost damage. So first thing you have is what's called a fleece tunnel or a floating row cover. These are actually something that can be really handy to have and just set up from the day you transplant those seedlings or starts outside until all threat of frost is gone and you can totally remove them. Some people leave them on during the course of that, that plant's whole growing season because they can also serve as a pest barrier. They're designed pretty sturdily. They let light and water through. So a fleece tunnel, a, f- a floating row cover can be just a good all around option to have. There is a little bit of expense involved, though, for something so simple. It's kind of it's a little crazy. You know, you can get a pretty decent, good sized one for forty dollars. And that's the one that I have linked to in the sister post for this episode, which is always you can find in the show notes. So, for about $40, you do get a pretty good sized fleece tunnel, but there are less expensive options out there, especially if you find yourself needing more than one fleece tunnel or a floating row cover. That can be kind of expensive. If I were to buy a floating row cover for every single one of my eight raised beds, that's a lot of money. That is what? $320? and I, I'm, I'm not going to go out and spend that much money on floating row covers. <laughs> so I have a tendency to, to look for cheaper options. When it comes to cheaper options, you can do garden fabric. There are a lot of options though, I want to say, when it comes to buying garden fabric. So be careful. If you're using it for frost protection, make sure that It's labeled as winter weight or says that it's for frost protection because there is also summer weight garden fabric that is used specifically for, you know, protecting against pests and protecting against too much sun, like sun scald. And it is not really going to do you a whole lot of good at all against frost, that much lighter weight fabric. So make sure you're using a winter weight garden fabric. Another option that you have is felt from the fabric store. So just like I had talked in an earlier episode about using tulle from the fabric store, one of my listeners had suggested that using tulle as a pest kind of covering on your plants, it gave me the idea to try using felt. Uh, from the fabric store. I had a, a big, not a whole bolt of it, but I had bought it for something I ended up not using it for. And I thought, oh, this could make a really good plant cover. It can get a little heavy, felt can, so I don't recommend it for taller plants. It's better for flexible, you know, low growing plants like onion starts this time of year. You know, your onion starts are still going to be pretty short, pretty flexible. Works really well for that. And last but not least, Old sheets or comforters. So we all have extra blankets in a linen closet, extra sheets in a linen closet for that spare bedroom that never gets used. Old sheets that we keep after we upgraded to a higher thread count or something like that. Or maybe they got like a little discolored or something like that and you got sick of looking at them so you bought new sheets. But you kept the old sheets for some reason. Make use of them, right? Haul them out of the linen closet. You can, you can use them to cover your plants. Before you put any of those things on your plants, though, as long as the daytime high is above 32 degrees Fahrenheit, and especially if it's sunny, let the sun warm that garden bed up all day before you cover it if it's sunny out. That way, when you put the covering on, it will trap the warmth soaked up by the garden bed, by the soil and everything like that. And it'll create almost kind of like an air cushion of warmer air underneath that, that sheet or felt or fleece tunnel, what have you, whatever you chose to use, depending on the weather that's coming through. So depending on how low the temperature goes, and I'll talk a little bit more about this. I sometimes pile loose straw on top of the covering, the sheet, the felt, whatever it is I'm using for just even that much more extra insulation because straw is very, very insulating. It's kind of like down in that way. Like the hollow straw just kind of helps trap that warmer air and it just acts as another layer of insulation. I do want to raise the topic of using old-fashioned Christmas lights. In other words, not LED bulbs, old fashioned Christmas lights, the kinds that, you know, if you left them on long enough, if you pinched them between your fingers, it'd get pretty hot. I and mean, if you left your fingers there, it would, it would burn you after a few moments, probably, you know, that idea of laying them in the bed to keep things warm. I do not recommend that. I would be too afraid of setting my raised beds on fire. Things can get really hot with those old Christmas lights, especially if you have dry straw in the beds. Not a great idea. Using old fashioned Christmas lights is a better tactic for warming the buds on bare tree branches like peach trees. So if it gets too cold out and buds have started forming on my peach tree, I will string up old-fashioned Christmas lights on my peach tree because as long as they're rated outdoor for outdoor use you don't really have to worry about it starting a fire and there's nothing kind of covering it like a blanket or straw that that you have to worry about starting a fire but I personally would not recommend using old-fashioned Christmas lights to keep your garden beds warm. So tip number three you got your gar, you got your choice of protective plant covering. Make sure it is secure. And I mean go overboard. I read about so many new gardeners doing this. They go out and they put their seed or they blanket down and then they hurry back in the house where it's warm because maybe that cold weather has already started to to move in. And the next day they come out and they find it's been completely blown off and all their seedlings are goners. If you're going to go through the trouble of putting a frost covering on your seedlings, make sure it is good and secure before you head back inside. If you're not sure what to use, you know what? Check the weather again and let that help you. If it's not supposed to be terribly windy, some sturdy landscaping staples should work just fine. But if you've got like a spring, winter, weird mix storm coming in, weigh that sucker down with something heavy like bricks that way if the wind catches it it's much less likely to get blown off and if it's less likely to get blown off your plants are much less likely to get damaged. So now comes the annoying part tip number four remove the covering as soon as you can so the day before, you know, usually it's just one overnight that that we have to deal with unless it's kind of a persistent front that has moved in. But we go through all that trouble to secure the covering with stakes or bricks or whatever. And then the next day we have to run out and remove it as soon as possible. Because if it's sunny the next morning or as soon as the outside temperature rises above 32 degrees you might end up cooking your plants to death. Even if the package your covering came in said that it's breathable, oxygen exchange and increased temperatures are two different things. So, your fabric, you know, maybe breathing, okay, but if it's sunny out and that fabric is heavier, it can still get way way too hot underneath underneath that plant covering. This is why I never use something dark like a navy blue or black colored piece of fabric to cover my plants. So just in case I can't make it outside right away first thing in the morning, I I always try to to use white covers cuz that's going to reflect the sunlight and it's it's not going to get as hot as quickly. So That's kind of my last tip is if you're using plant coverings to protect against frost damage, remove it as soon as you can the next day, whether that's because it's sunny or because temperatures have risen above 32 degrees Fahrenheit. So let's talk about how to assess frost damage because sometimes despite our efforts, you know, we put coverings on everything, we secured it, we did our best Despite that, Mother Nature sometimes is just not on our side. You know, temperatures from 32 to 29 degrees Fahrenheit are what's known as a light frost. And that's what those coverings are meant to shield your plants from. A hard frost. So anything below 28 degrees Fahrenheit, especially down into the mid-20s and really, really into the low 20s. That's going to be hard for any covering, honestly, to fully protect against. So you're going to end up with some damage if a hard frost rolls through, even if you covered your plants. So let's talk about what you might see light frost damage. The outside leaves of the plant are discolored and I have pictures of this in the sister post for this episode and and you can say you can see what I mean so I have a broccoli seedling and I have a cauliflower seedling and it's the outside leaves the biggest leaves the oldest leaves on the plant are discolored they may appear brown or blackened or even a little purpley um, they may almost appear like bleached or spotted in strange ways if you have and this happened to me last year but i, I probably was so sad, I didn't take the time to take a picture of it. But if you have frost damage on a potato plant, the, the leaves are going to appear more brown or blackened. So any, anything like that is, is, is going to be frost damage. But what's important is that the leaves closest to the center of the plant on something like a brassica seedling, like a broccoli or cauliflower seedling, or closest to the earth, on say a potato vine. If those leaves look green and healthy and they're still standing erect, they're not mushy, they're not dried out either, then those plants are are likely to survive. They're gonna take some time to bounce back, don't get me wrong. It's almost like just starting from those leaves that the plant has left basically, because the leaves that were damaged are not photosynthesizing anymore, are not producing those simple sugars that the plant needs anymore. So for something like potato frost damage, you're going to want to clip off the vine right above where the healthy unaffected leaves start. And this usually happens pretty close to the ground. So you're removing any damaged leaves and squishy stems. Potato vines, those vines especially, get pretty squishy. You're going to clip that off. And note that you may have a smaller potato crop as a result of the damage, but it's, it's better than no crop at all, right? For damage to leaves on brassica plants like broccoli or cauliflower or Brussels sprouts, clip off the leaves that are most severely discolored or damaged. Like I said, they're not really photosynthesizing much, if at all, and they're therefore just additional biomass for the roots to support, and they would eventually rot and fall off anyway. So by pruning them off, you actually allow the plant to direct its energy to the remaining healthy growth that's left. Really quick, also have a picture of, of this in the sister post. For damage to strawberries, instead of looking for damaged leaves, look for damaged blossoms once they start to appear. So blossoms with a black eye, those were developing when the frost hit, and these are not going to set fruit once they appear. So I have a picture where there's a blossom with a black eye next to a a healthy blossom, and you can definitely tell the difference. You should pick off any blossoms that have a black eye. I have noticed, you know, strawberry leaves tend to take light frosts like a champ. So I would say even just kind of piling a little bit of straw on top of those strawberries is probably gonna be enough. You probably don't even need to put a sheet over them, at least not in my experience. Now, let's move on to the really unpleasant stuff, hard frost damage. I know it's sad, but if you see any of these signs in your plants after a hard frost, it's best to let them go, cut your losses, and then, you know, after a reasonable amount of sulking or moping, you know, head to the garden center to buy some replacements. And like I've said... This has happened to me. I have done this. I have followed all the guidelines. I have set my plants out. I have covered them. I have done everything I could. And I have still had to go out and buy replacement seedlings. There's no shame in it. Doesn't mean you're a bad gardener. It just means the earth is more powerful than you are. (laughs) So let's talk about damage specifics. Number one, the primary stem, the leader stem coming out of the earth is black or mushy. This is a sign that the cell walls have frozen and burst like a can of soda in the freezer. It is irreparably damaged, and this plant will not survive. You know, once those cell walls burst, it's like it's like trying to put water into a balloon that's burst, right? Like you can't do it. There's nothing there. There's no structure anymore to hold the water. In potatoes, if the stem is mushy all the way down to the soil and there's no healthy leaves, you can try leaving it for a bit to see if it will recover. But harvest is likely to be very, very minimal. So that's, that's the stem, the primary stem coming up in the center of the plant from the ground. The leaves, if all the leaves on the plant are discolored, brittle, mushy, if even the new growth at the center of the plant is discolored, damaged, or especially wilted, as, as in the photo that I have in the sister post for this episode, it, it's not going to survive. You can baby it along for a week and see if it recovers at all, but I have honestly found this to be a waste of time in most cases. If that new growth at the, at the very center of the plant is even a little wilty, it's probably a goner. It's not going to be long before it's even more wilty and then it starts to go brittle and just kind of kick the bucket. That's because most vegetable plants grow from the terminal bud at the top of the plant. So if that plant gets damaged at at the tip of it, it's 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 done. So if the new growth is is mushy or wilted or discolored. Sorry that I have to I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but that seedling is probably pretty much done for. So, and that's a really interesting distinction to make between vegetable plants and something like grass. So, you might be like, "Well, why doesn't grass die when there is a frost like this?" And that's because grass actually grows from the bottom. So that's why, you know, we can cut off the top of it every week when we mow our lawn and it keeps growing. It grows from the bottom. But our vegetable plants, they grow from the top, from the terminal bud. And if that gets damaged or it gets cut off, it's a goner and we have to go buy new ones. So I know not pleasant to talk about, not pleasant to think about. And hopefully you don't experience that this year. I have... Actually, some of the pictures in the sister post are from frost damage from this year. So that did happen to me this year. But unlike last year, it didn't kill the seedlings. They seem like they are going to keep trucking along. They just need a little time to regenerate and and grow their leaves. So I really hope, though, this isn't something you have to deal with. If it is something you end up dealing with, hopefully you feel prepared to deal with it. And I wish you the very, very best of luck in keeping those little plant babies alive. In the next episode, I'm going to be talking about how to grow carrots from sowing the seed to harvesting and what you can do with all the different parts of the carrot. I know that a lot of us are kind of like, well, you eat the carrot, but there's actually a surprising amount of things that you can do with the carrot tops. And they're very nutritious. They're very, very good for you. And they produce, oh my gosh, each carrot produces a lot of carrot greens. So a lot is being wasted if you're if you're not finding a way to eat those as well. So sowing, growing, and harvesting ideas for carrots in the next episode. Until then, thank you as always so very much for listening. If you haven't had a chance recently, I would love it if you would go out to your favorite podcatcher and just give the podcast a quick rating. Thank you so very much for those of you who have reached out on social media lately to ask questions or just give a little bit of love in terms of how much you appreciate the podcast. That just is something that I absolutely love to hear. I love to hear about people who, who listen to it on the way to work, or they listen to it out in the garden and it gets them all jazzed up for, for the growing season. I'm happy to be that source of inspiration for you. So thank you as always. And I will talk to you guys in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Grow Your Own Food podcast. Visit beeandbasil.com for helpful how-to articles, images, and recipes.